Hey folks, thanks for being a member of the Cafe Insider community. In addition to the Cafe Insider podcast and my weekly note, you also get bonus material from my interviews on Stay Tuned with Preet. This is exclusively for you. Hope you enjoy it. Well, as, as you have written extensively and spoken about extensively, one way to do something that improves the situation, I'm curious to see what you think our progress has been, is to lower overall costs. And as far back as 12 years ago, you wrote a very influential article in The New Yorker where you talked about this. And I, w- I, will, I will note for the record, you, I see a pattern here. <laughs> you, you went to McAllen, Texas. You like to go places and figure out how to solve the nation's problems by looking at one community, which I, I think is terrific. And you write, quote, McAllen, Texas. This is in 2009. McAllen, Texas, the most expensive town and the most expensive country for healthcare in the world. <laughs> I see a parallel construction there. I've been pouring over your writing seemed a good place to look for some answers. And part of the point you make is that you have this town, McAllen, Texas, border town, and the costs of care there were far higher, at least using Medicare data, far higher than in other places, including locations like Rochester, Minnesota, which has you know, the famous Mayo Clinic in it. And in looking at reasons why, is it because of the way the doctors are trained so that they order more procedures? Is it because of patient demands? Is it because of some other reason your conclusion was what? Well, uh, conclusion was it was mostly unnecessary care. Differences in uh, how much judgment there was. And, and the comparison really wasn't McAllen to Rochester, Minnesota, as much as it was McAllen, Texas to El Paso, Texas, where right. you had- 800 miles north. Yep, a few hundred miles to the north and equal levels of poverty, equal levels of undocumented immigrants, of- uh, emergency visits, et cetera, uh, and also of health issues. And the, in El Paso, you had half the costs per person for Medicare that you, that you had in, in McAllen. And you had um, better quality results uh, despite all of that. Now, one of the core things I was pointing out is that we have a system, again, built out of our core World War II approaches that was about paying a fee for every service that the health system provides. In a world where we now are needing to knit together all of these services on behalf of people and um, make it possible to win by not just supplying, you know, basically we pay for quantity, not for the result. We're in a much better position now to pay for results. And one of the things that came out of Obamacare which passed the next year and included a number of provisions that made that possible in Medicare was accountable care organizations, uh, Medicare Advantage plans that are rewarded for delivering higher quality and lower costs. And the striking thing is we now have, we're closing in on half of the American population in Medicare are enrolling in those plans, a kind of revolution that many people have not recognized to be happening. And I went back to McAllen, Texas five years later, and their costs had fallen $4,000 per person per year. Is that because of your article? I don't think it was because of my article. I, I, the, my article led I'm to- I'm only being half, half facetious because that, that's a very dramatic change. Yeah. I mean, after there were, years and years of rising costs. The, to the extent that I was contributing anything, it was to say, this is an approach that should be included in in the ACA. And I think I'm glad it got wide 
exposure and that was part of the discussion, but I think there are many more forces than just that article. The article also led to some investigations to put some people in jail where there was actually real fraud going on. Um, but I think that the biggest, you know, I think some of the biggest impact was that for the first time you had the American Medical Association and other medical organizations not fighting to defend getting paid fee-for-service, getting paid by the visit, being paid by the operation, but instead getting to be paid a budget for the year that you would have the ability to deploy those resources where, um, where you could. And in Medicare, that has taken off as an approach. It's been generally successful. It's moderated the prices. It hasn't had a, you know, on the edges like in McAllen, it has really dropped the prices significantly and improved quality as more people got primary care physician access and things like that. But on the whole, it's been progress that's been more incremental and less dramatic than we would have hoped. And we still have a long way to go. In general, healthcare costs have been flat and the pandemic has probably made them even lower. Um, it'll be interesting to see where we pick up a year from now. Um, but I think we're, we're still in a place where a quarter to a third of what we do is not the right care. And we have a much higher level of performance that we need to be getting to in healthcare. You're a surgeon, you teach at medical school, you have a lot going on. Why do you, why do you write? Why do you write books and articles? <laughs> Most of your colleagues in the profession do not. You do it beautifully, and I'm glad you do, but I'm wondering what your personal motivation is. Well, if, actually, I was on a panel with three medical writers, uh, one a woman named Perry Class, who is a pediatrician, one a guy named Samuel Shem, who wrote wrote a book called, um, uh, uh, oh my God, I'm blank. <laughs> anyway, um, and so when someone asked, like, what do you write? Perry Class said it was to to understand relationships. And her, a lot of her books are about the relationships. She's a pediatrician taking care of other women's children. That was the name of one of her books. It's been about navigating those relationships while she's, you know, felt she wasn't looking after her kids at home. And for Samuel Shem, he said, you know, it's to stick it to the man. <laughs> and that's what his <laughs> books are. That's what his books are, right? He's sticking it to the man. Right. And, uh, and for me, it's, it, it's to understand the things I'm most confused about, whether it's why are we at war over how to take care of this pandemic? Or why are costs so high? Or I've written an article about why do we itch? And it's been my way of working through out loud the things that trouble me the most or um, obsess me the most, where, where we're failing. And I just feel lucky that, that I'm able to find that there's a community of people who are like like to have the same concerns and are are reading it and, and following along. By the way, it was House of God by Samuel Shem. That was his Okay, good save. That was a total stick it to the man book. <laughs> <laughs> well I look I also think that the other thing you and other medical writers do is you demystify something that for lay people is hard to understand. And that's one reason I liked complications so much. By the way, the other book, there are two medical books that helped me to write mine uh, and, and think about how to explain things to lay people, even though I'm talking about a particular profession. And the other one was Oliver Sacks, mm -hmm. the man who mistook his wife for a hat. Thank you again for becoming a Cafe Insider. Listen to the Cafe Insider podcast every Tuesday with Ann Milgram and me, and stay tuned every Thursday. 